0: Last week, I began the sermon with asking you a question, and I told you not to raise your hand. I was going to start the same way this week. Um, How many of you have prayed this morning already? And if I was to ask you that question, at least everyone in the congregation should raise your hand because we said the Lord's Prayer together. (laughs) I mean, so hopefully you said the Lord's Prayer with us this morning. it's, it's a prayer that we said during our confession section. So today, we're going to look at this prayer. It's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, you may see it uh, called the Disciples' Prayer. If you look at Luke's Gospel and how Jesus portrays it there when they ask him to teach us to pray. And So sometimes you will see it referred to as the Disciples' Prayer, but more often than not, we will see that it's the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer that we know by heart, we recite in worship. Uh, It is a a prayer that songs have been written about, and there are commentaries and books, plethora of books that have been written about this prayer. Uh, You can go online and Google it, and it will fill your Google search with numerous places to go and read and find out about the Lord's Prayer. Now, while it is there are are many other prayers in Scripture throughout the Old and the New Testament, certainly this particular prayer is the most familiar to most, even for those that maybe uh, haven't grown up in church or have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, we are still in Matthew 6. Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to pick up reading with verse 9 and read through verse 15 this morning. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds this morning for what you would hold for us through this, your holy word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Prayer is at the heart, as I mentioned last week, of the Christian faith, our 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 life as a Christian should be bathed in prayer and yet many of us struggle in prayer if I was to ask the question how many of you are satisfied with your prayer life statistics would show that not many of you would say yes not many of you would say yes how ironic is that that God has given us the opportunity as believers in Christ as having the indwelling Holy Spirit in us. How ironic is it that one of the most beautiful experiences of life of being able to communicate with, as I said last week, the creator of the universe, all that we have and all that is. How is it that this communication of being able to talk with the Lord, being able to listen and have him communicate with us through the Holy Spirit is so elusive or maybe so neglected when it comes to us as believers in Christ. The Lord's Prayer, as a part of the the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching, and as you remember last week, we, we talked about that Jesus says, you know, go into a, a secret place and pray. Uh, don't, don't show before the public as far as look at me, look at who I am, look at me praying to the Lord, look at, at how humble and pious I am. And Jesus said, be careful about repetition and using um, a, a lot of words and just lengthy prayers just to draw attention to yourself or to your prayer. And Jesus reminds us of that. But in verse 5, he he says, pray then in this way. And so he is taught about how not to pray. And now in this brief prayer that takes really less than a minute to, to pray, he begins to teach us how to pray. Pray like this, he says. Make your requests known. Let your Father in heaven hear your prayer according to his will. And so this morning, I want to look at this prayer. And and I know that you have, in your life, heard this preached on so many times. You have understanding about the Lord's Prayer. You've probably gone through Bible studies where the Lord's Prayer has been taught to you. But I just pray maybe this morning the Holy Spirit, through going through this prayer one more time, will lift something up to you. Will, something will stand out to you that maybe you didn't hear or think of or maybe have forgotten from the past. So how do we approach God in prayer? All prayer is addressed to someone and Jesus in verse 5 tells us this phrase, our Father in heaven. So he tells us who to pray to. Once again, this beautiful, simple address of what to pray and how to approach God in prayer. I want to look at three words in this phrase. And the first is ire, it teaches us how to approach God as God's people. When you become a Christian, yes, you come and you come to faith individually. I can't save you. My salvation can't be imputed to you. You have to surrender. You come to faith individually in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we belong to something greater than just ourselves. We belong to the people of God. He has brought us apart of his people we are in community together and so as a part of god's people it's important for us to to pray in community and to pray as a part of that community and so when i kneel in my office at home, or if I'm here by myself during the week and, and I come into the sanctuary and, and I get on my knees and pray to God and, and I'm the only one in the place, I'm still part of the greater community. Jesus says, pray this way, our Father. And so as we pray Individually and corporately, we are praying as the community. Barclay, William Barclay says this, It is very significant that in the Lord's Prayer, the words I, me, and mine never occur. How do we approach God in prayer? Jesus teaches us to say our as a part of God's people as a reminder that we are part of something greater than just ourselves. Secondly, the word Father teaches us that we should approach God with childlike trust. Praise God that we're not just a, a, a alone, but we're a part of the people, but we're also a part of his family. He has adopted us. We have an inheritance in him as father. And Jesus uses the Aramaic word here for father, Abba. And it's an intimate word. It is, it is one that a child would use in, in calling their dad. And we know that not just children, but we as adults, refer to our father with that endearing, loving trust. Last week, Franklin and I were talking about his mom and and dad, how they had influenced his life, and and he referred to them as mom and dad, or you could say daddy, and as a 50-year-old plus adult, it doesn't change how we think of our earthly fathers. How much more should we think of our Heavenly Father in that He has adopted us? This radical approach that Jesus has here in saying, Abba, Father. Those that were listening would have thought, what in the world is He saying? Because in the Old Testament, that they would be listening to or they would be reading. Yes, God the Father is there, but it's looked at as the father of a nation, They would have never in the Old Testament, these prophets, these rabbis would have never referred to God as daddy. And here Jesus is saying, when you call on your father in heaven, call on him personally. Have this childlike trust. As a part of our prayer, we are to go to God and say, Father our Father, and approach Him with the trust of a child. And then the last word in this opening phrase, and I promise I'm not going to take every word of the prayer and break it down because Emma asked me, how long are you going to preach this morning? Heaven, this opening phrase teaches us that we are to approach God in reverence and respect. Ecclesiastes 5.2 reads this way, God is in heaven, you are on earth, so let your words be few. In other words, have reverence to God. God is in heaven because he is infinite, he is almighty, he is powerful, he is majestic. We see God as someone to be reverenced and to show respect We are told in the commandments to respect our earthly parents, our earthly father. And if we are to have that kind of respect, if God imputes on us to have this command, this respect, to have respect for our earthly father, should we not have respect for our father in heaven? And so this address, our father in heaven, teaches us how to approach God in prayer and then as we move into the body of this prayer, we see that there are six petitions. There are three that concern God, and there are three that concern human, our humankind. And so when we pray, we pray first for God's concerns. This is significant because it teaches us that God comes first. Jesus has given us this opening of our Father, which art in heaven. And now he begins with this reverence again. It's almost as if he brings us back to this understanding of who God is in our life. As we get further into the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6, verse 33... Jesus says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and these things will be added to you as well. And so as Jesus is making petition here, we're going to look at the name of God, the kingdom of God, and the will of God. And so first, we pray God's name. We pray for God's name that the people would honor and reverence him. Hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed in the Greek means to honor, to consider, to be holy, to reverence one. And so it ties to that third commandment, not to take the Lord's name in vain. And so when we pray... We are to honor God because of his character, because of his nature, because of his love, because of who he is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Godhead, we are to honor. When someone takes the Lord's name in vain, it should bring unrest to our soul. When we watch programs at home, we'll turn, you know, if we've got the TV on and we are looking at a a program or maybe a movie that we've turned to. And the minute that the first time we hear the Lord's name taken in vain, Terry will say, oh, (laughs) and Emma knows it's time to turn it because we're not going to listen to someone taking the Lord's name in vain. And it's a disruptive part just to our soul to hear someone disrespect God in that way. Hallowed is your name, Jesus says. Secondly, we are to pray for the kingdom, that God's rule would overcome the world. In verse 10, your kingdom come. Jesus, as he began his ministry, we are told he said, Repent, for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is near Matthew four seventeen. And when we see the kingdom is near, we, we know that Jesus, as he came, ushered in the kingdom, and we also know that we pray and say Maranatha come Lord Jesus we know that he's going to come again we're told that in scripture and so as we're praying your kingdom come we are praying for the present kingdom that we're a part of we're living in the kingdom of God now God we pray for your kingdom that is here that we are a part of that the Holy Spirit is leading us in as a church As the gospel goes forth to the world, goes forth in your fullness, may your kingdom come and reign, and we also pray for the future that your kingdom will come, knowing that one day everything will be fulfilled, everything will be made right and holy, for the king will come and rule. And then thirdly, the petition for God's concerns is that we pray for God's will, for obedience to God's commands here on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is God's will? God's will is revealed to us in his word. As we read God's word, as we study God's word, as we make God's Word a part of our very life, the teaching, the preaching of God's Word. Even as we look at the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's Gospel, all of this is teaching us, leading us into God's will for us. This last phrase, on earth as it is in heaven, actually applies to all three of these requests, these God concerns, that we we pray that God's name would be honored and reverence, that we would pray for his kingdom, that we would pray for his will that would be done as he leads us and teaches us as we study and learn his word. This book is a love letter to us. Telling us about the work of Jesus, his son. And the relationship that God desires for us as believers. That we are forgiven through Jesus. And God desires us to live into his will and his purpose for our life. May we pray that earnestly in these God concerns in this model prayer. You see, as Jesus is teaching, he's not giving us every single word that we are to pray, but he is giving us an understanding of how to pray. There are three requests that he says, concerns that we are to make when we pray, and they they have to do with, with human need. Our, our physical needs and spiritual needs are to be met. And Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. These God concerns are both spiritual and physical. But, but God understands our needs. He understands all about us. You, you remember that verse 8 said, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so he understands that we need clothing, we need shelter, we need food. And it's something that is a daily need to us. Jesus came not only preaching forgiveness of sins, but as Jesus ministered, as he walked and taught, he fed the hungry and he healed the sick. I think of this daily need, and this morning I was thinking about in the garden as Adam and Eve sinned, and the garden was perfect, and they didn't need any clothes, and, and everything was the way God intended until sin entered the world. And Moses in Genesis reminds us that God provided clothes or Adam and Eve, coverings for them as they were going to be sent out into the world. He knew their need before he even sent them out. God knows our daily needs, and it is something that we are to pray for daily. As you remember, as the Israelites were in the desert and God provided for their need daily in manna, the only day that they could gather more was the day before the Sabbath so that they would have what they needed on the Sabbath. But other days, they were only together for that daily need. And anything above that was going to spoil. It was not going to remain viable for them. We need to pray daily, Jesus says. Give us this day our daily bread. The second is that of forgiveness and Jesus teaches us to pray for forgiveness for our sins that we have committed and we are to forgive others. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Romans 3.23 reminds us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and we are all in need of forgiveness of our sins. We are in debt because of our sins to God. And this means that it is only through his forgiveness, through the work of the cross of Jesus, that we are forgiven. It astounds me that we make so little of the grace and the mercy that Jesus offers. If we could really understand, if maybe we would really live into understanding the grace and mercy that we are offered it would be something that we would give thanks for daily. How many times have you walked into the bank and said, hey, would you mind forgiving my mortgage? I know that I owe you about $10,000 in credit card debt. Would you mind just forgiving that debt? They'd look at you like you're absolutely nuts and crazy and probably want you to pay extra. When it comes to God... We can't earn it, we don't deserve it, but we can come to him, and because of Jesus, God says, you are forgiven. Christ has paid the price. He has paid your debt. And, and so, forgive us this day our debts. We, we ask forgiveness for our sins but Jesus doesn't stop there. He, he assumes that if we're going to ask God to forgive us, then we are going to be willing to forgive others of their debts to us. And furthermore, not only does he have this prayer, but at the end in verse 14 and 15, he says, for if you forgive men their sins, they will That sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men your sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, we should not read this as though God's forgiveness is dependent on our forgiveness of others. We know that God forgives us simply because we surrender and put our faith in Him. We are not forgiven because we forgive. We forgive because we are forgiven. We forgive because we are forgiven. The expectation God has on us is because of the grace and mercy he has shown us that we will show that grace and mercy to others. As Christians, we are to forgive. John Wesley once was told by this man in his congregation, I will never forgive. And Wesley looked at him and said, Well then I hope you never sin. We as true Christians as we are forgiven are to forgive. And then the the third petition or the sixth in this list in the Lord's Prayer, this final petition is one of spiritual victory so that Jesus teaches us to pray for deliverance from temptation and from Satan's power. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or you may have the evil one there. The prayer is forgiveness that is necessary for our lives, but we know that Satan continues as we are forgiven, as we walk with Christ, Satan is going to continue to pounce on us, to tempt us, to try to lead us apart from living a righteous and holy life in Jesus. And so we pray for victory. The prayer for forgiveness looks back to our past, but this prayer for for deliverance is actually looking forward and into the future for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, this final petition, I think, gives three opportunities for us. And the first is to remember that God never tempts us. James 1.13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. And so God is not tempting us. He is not causing us to be tempted by evil or even by the evil one. And Jesus is reminding us that we are to pray against temptation, to pray that the Holy Spirit would give us power, that we would have the confidence in what the Holy Spirit can and will do for us. And so, remember, God is not tempting you. It is Satan. Secondly, I think this particular petition reminds us to ask God to help us avoid situations where sin becomes hard to resist. God will never tempt us, but also we need to keep asking him to keep us as far away from sin as possible. Instead of getting close to sin or toying with sin or, or allowing sin to have that infiltration into our mind in any way, we ask God to keep us as far away from sin and temptation as we can that he would through his power of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, we need God's power to overcome Satan. We need God's power to overcome Satan. Don't underestimate the power of Satan in this lost world, in the world in which we live. Satan has his demons, and Satan has his power. And so we pray, Lord, deliver me. We don't pray, bring it on. We pray, Lord, deliver me. Lead me away. Keep me from sin. Let me experience the victory that I would have in you. We we often pray, deliver us from evil. But maybe we need to pray also, deliver us from the evil one. Either way, God's power is sufficient to overcome the power of Satan and the sin in our lives. John Stott writes, thus these three petitions which Jesus puts on our lips are beautifully comprehensive. They cover in principle all our our human need, material, daily bread, spiritual, forgiveness of sins, moral, deliverance from evil, What are we doing whenever we pray this prayer? What we are doing whenever we pray this prayer is to express our dependence upon God in every, in every area of our human life. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are asking these six petitions, three that focus on God and three that focus on our needs. And then the Lord Jesus finishes with this the doxology as he closes out the Lord's Prayer. For your kingdom and your power and your glory forever. Amen. The doxology is not found in the early manuscripts. If you have a Bible, you'll see often this section bracketed out. And this is... Uh, why that is there, but for me, doesn't make any difference because either way, whether it's been added at some time and was not there maybe in the original when Jesus was teaching, it is a fitting biblical way to end this prayer. Over and over and over again, throughout the Old and the New Testament, we see for. The kingdom of God, the power of God, for the glory of God, over and over and over. And so Jesus, or whomever, as this prayer was being written, if it was even added at a later date, this ending is fitting as a doxology to point us back to God for his glory, for his purpose, for his kingdom, and for his will. This is a model prayer. How should we pray? Jesus says, pray then in this way. He has taught us, he has taught us, not words that we are to necessarily recite, though that is okay, It is okay to be a part of worship. It is okay to lead in worship as we have done this morning as in reciting the prayer together. But more than that, what he has given us is this model for us to use in our prayer life as we pray to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. For his word and the fact that He would even give us a model prayer to use in our prayer life as we communicate with Him on a daily basis. Let's pray once more. Father God, thank you again for this prayer that your Son, in His teaching that day on the side of the mountain, gave to those that were there, and ultimately gave to us his holy word, his word. Father, may we reflect on this prayer. May we use it in our worship, maybe even in our individual devotion. But, Father, more than that, may we hear the petitions that are made, and may we expound on that, Father, in in giving you glory and asking for your concerns, in your kingdom, for you are our Father. And Father, may we even pray for our needs, lifting them up that your will be done in all ways, at all times. May we accept your will, be faithful to your purpose and will in what you have called us to, as followers, as sons and daughters. Thank you, Father.